checking audio. Okay, the audio's rolling. Um, hey, welcome to my podcast. Um, no, what the hell? What the hell? Who am I? Um, okay. <laughs> Take two. Um, Welcome back to another episode of my podcast. I'm super excited about this episode. I just finished recording it. Um, I got to talk to my friend, Bobby Kim. He started the hundreds with uh, Ben. I don't know Ben's last name. I only know their Instagram handles, Ben hundreds and Bobby hundreds. I'm sorry, Ben. I'll figure out what your last name is at some point, but... Um, Bobby's a good friend of mine. Uh, it's a crazy story how we met and, uh, we talk about that in this episode. We recorded this episode over Zoom and, uh, due to COVID and, um, I think it's a really great episode. We talked all about how he got into, uh, the fashion business and how he started out blogging. Also, he went to law school. I had no idea, uh, he did that. Him. That's how he met Ben and who he started the hundreds with is from law school. Um, so it's a really great episode. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to let you guys know that this is a Zoom uh, video. What am I saying? I don't even know what I'm saying. Anyway, I just wanted to say hi before we get into the episode. Make sure that you subscribe on YouTube if that's how you watch this. Um Apple, Spotify, uh, rate, review. What else? Oh, I have a Patreon. The Patreon's super helpful to me and to uh, Anthony, who I don't pay. Someone got so mad. They were like, why don't you pay your producer? I'm like, it's a joke. I pay him sometimes. Um, no, don't. If you guys help me out on this Patreon, Anthony can get all, you know, all dripped out, you know? He'll have all this hundreds merch soon. I got this for free. Shout out to Bobby and Ben. But um, yeah, it's a really great episode. Make sure you subscribe to the Patreon, which is just patreon.com slash Ali Makovsky. There's a $5 tier. There's a $20 tier. There's an in-between tier. So check that out. Um, is that it? I think that's it. Yeah. That's it. Enjoy the episode. Uh, leave a comment. Let me know what you think. DM me. Slide in. Talk to you soon. Got it. Okay, great. So now you can pin my there video and I can okay, pin now yours. You're pinned. You're pinned. You're pinned. You're pinned. You're a pinner. Pinny pin times. Okay. Um, I I would have gotten all done up for this podcast, but I'm so exhausted after this weekend. That I was like, I can't do, I can't do glam. That's because there's a filter on here. There's a filter on Zoom where it like kind of blurs your face a little bit to give you like a glow. Yeah, I'm going to do it right now. Touch up my appearance. Yes, touch it up. Yeah, you look great. You look fab. Did you bleach your hair pre-quarantine and now this is the growth of six to eight months? Yeah. No, I, I, I bleached it uh, mid-quarantine. I bleached it in, like, April or March or April, May, May, April. 
a cat, my, my, uh, the girl who cuts my hair, she, she bleached it, but the whole thing was bleached and it's just growing out. And we do this. So this because... is how, this is how long we've been in quarantine. Yeah. You can gauge it by that's exactly how long I can tell you. Yeah. I'm like a tree with its rings, except it's my roots. Yeah. And, um, this is my version of bangs, you know? I can't control what's happening in the greater world around me, so, but I can control my hair. Yes. So oh, yeah. Me. What do you think this is? You think this is me just, like, having a great time? No, this is me trying to manipulate some sort of situation. Yeah. This is you screaming for help because you're spinning out of control like a top. I'm the same. Yeah. I'm full unbridled chaos and helpless rage inside. And it's manifested in in bleached hair. I love that. Okay, I just, you know, we're rolling, we're rocking and rolling. I just want to formally introduce you um to the pod. This is my friend Bobby Kim. Your Do you best use friend. your last name? Your first of all, your best friend. I know I was gonna say that, and then I was like, I don't want to like overwhelm you or like make false claims. I would just end the interview. I'm like close to the computer. You're like, this is my best friend. I'm like, you're like, I gotta go. Uh, my my real last name is Kim K I M. Really original for a Korean guy. Um, but yeah, sometimes I go. I don't care. I go by it. It's just that I wasn't S- sure if it was like a secret. No, it's not a secret. SEO, search engine optimization-wise, there are a lot of Bobby Kims. I understand. There's a Korean pop star named Bobby Kim. He's much more famous and more talented at dancing than I am, although I'm a a good dancer. Wow. But there's one Bobby Hundreds, so I just lean into that one because it's... Yeah. Did you, you know. did you and Ben, did you and Ben both coordinate like, okay, we're going to do our first name and then hundreds for our Instagram handles. So we can both. <laughs> when we started, there was no Instagram. So it wasn't even a conscious social play. It was, um, I kind of forced it upon him because it was inspired by the Ramones and seven seconds and how punk, the punk bands that I grew up in listening to i didn't grow up in those bands grew up listening to those bands uh they kind of all share the same last name to show that you know that they remember like kevin seconds from seven seconds and so i wanted the same because so much of the ethos of the brand was uh borrowed from growing up in the hardcore scene and and wanting to have a, a brand that felt more like a band yeah so that's what that was yeah and how long have you officially been like, how long has the hundreds been around? Like, when, not just, like, the idea of it, but, like, when did you first start officially, like, doing the hundreds? Uh, 2003 is when we started the brand. When were you born, Allie? I was born in 95, and 2003 was a big year for me as well. What, what happened? You had your period? No. Oh my God. Seven years old. That would be insane. Doesn't that happen um, now? Isn't that like a thing with like hormones and meat and sometimes, whatever? I don't know. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes people start young. I got mine when I was 13, but in 2003, I was seven. And that's when I got my first job being employed by Kiss FM with Ryan Seacrest. Oh, that's right. I think people yeah. 
Have you shared this story with your audience, your followers? Do they know this part? Yeah, I don't talk okay. about it too much because it's kind of like the same story and it has the same ending every time. There's no like cool, interesting follow-up. So right. I share about it just generally every now and again. But yeah. Okay, so you started in 2003 with Ben. While you were on the radio. While I was on the radio. Our careers were I, both just beginning. I was, I was listening to you on the radio and then... I had this wild harebrained idea to do this project. Yeah, Ben and I, we started it. So we were 23 at the time. We're 40 now. Uh, 23 years old. We were both in school. We were both in law school in our first year of law school. And we were, we're, we're yes, we both went to law school, Ben and I. That is also a story that I feel like I've told enough times, but I, I, I remember, people forget or people never yeah. knew. But Ben and I, we met in law school. Yeah. So, wow. we were, but, but we were the, we were the black sheep in, in this, in law school. And we were at that time, early 2000s, this is 2003. Um, collecting sneakers was not what it is today. It wasn't a mainstream thing. It was still very much an obscure niche thing that we had been into for many years, just individually and streetwear brands, you know, being into streetwear, the New York brands, like, a life, sir, supreme, obviously. Um, and then being conscious of what was going on in Japan also with a lot of those brands like Bounty Hunter and Neighborhood Double Taps and Baiting Ape. And so we were kind of um, into this world of street fashion. It wasn't really called streetwear at the time. It was just more independent streetwear brand, t-shirt brands more or less. And I was, you know, I fancied myself an artist. I wasn't ever technically trained or anything. I just wanted to make a living making art and designing stuff. And so I had this idea of building a website uh, driven by my writing because I was a blogger. Before social media, we had blogs. And when blogging started in 1999, I had a, I had a pretty, um, I, like a daily updated blog where I would just muse about culture and fashion and stuff. And so the idea was to start a brand where we infused the blog and this daily transmission where I would journal every day, like Doogie Hauser. it's a really old reference, but it's like, I would sit there at a computer and be like, this is what I think about everything today. And then uh, I would put my art against it on t-shirts and Ben was going out and selling it to, to stores because there wasn't really e-com at the time. So that was the idea. So this is all while you're in law school. This was all while we were in law school. Yeah, we started in our first year. We met at the end of our first year. There was actually four of us initially. It was Ben and his friend, Mac. And it was me and my friend, Drew, that we were both in, the four of us were in school together. But Ben and I weren't as close as these guys were. It was actually more Mac and Drew that were buddies. And they would get together and talk about, hey, this first summer after our first year of law school, uh, let's try to make some money. You know, they were just kind of like scheming on like how we can make some money and they had this idea to start importing shoes from Japan. Nike Dunks were just kind of starting like the first wave of that retro craze. And so Air Force One's Dunks, Jordans, like maybe we can import in Japanese sneakers. And uh, Undefeated had just kind of opened up on La Brea. And so the idea of, of sneaker collecting was starting to become a popular thing in the underground. So we're like, maybe we can import sneakers. And then I had this idea. I was just like, hey, look, I've been thinking of starting this t-shirt brand and blogging against it. Um, 
and it was just going to be a fun project. I just wanted to do it as this emotional creative outlet for me. And then uh, Ben was like, hey, look, like I can actually figure out a way to make money doing that because that's Ben. He's just, yeah. he's, a hustler. he's a hustler. And I was like, I, I, just, I had no intention of making money off of it. I just wanted to do it to do it, which to honestly to this day is still how I operate and think about a lot of my work is I, I don't really think of the of the profitability first I do it because I just think it'd be really fun or I just want to find a way to do it then I figure out how to make money later but Ben was you know from the beginning like I can make this make money and uh, the other two partners they kind of fell out um, over the course of the first year and then it just was Ben and I so Ben's my partner to this day wow so I'm guessing you guys dropped out of law school no we didn't Wait, so you guys are both technically lawyers? We're both technically lawyers. We, we, we went all the way through. Because it also, if you think about it, it's a great, you know, you're living off of loan money. You, you can just kind of float because um, the first couple of years you start a small business, you really don't make any money. You know, any money that you do, it goes right back into the business. It's a little bit of a different game today because uh, you can get a really fast start um, using Instagram and social media to build an audience and then you, you can explode right away. But back then to build a brand the way that we were doing, and especially in streetwear, there was not, it wasn't like a, a really profitable career, sustainable career path. It was just more of like an artistic endeavor. And so the idea of, you know, we were just doing this for fun and, you know, we just wanted to live day to day. And so it was kind of nice and easy to do that while you're in school. You know, it was just yeah. kind of like a side gig. And then at some point in the final year of law school, law school's three years. And in the third year, Ben came to me one day and was just like, I have a cra I have crazy news for you. And I'm like, what? He's like, we turned a profit today. You know, this was like two and a half, two years into the brand. And maybe not until three years in, did, were we actually making enough money to pay our rent? And that was all I needed. I was like, we made, to me, that was, the same as if someone had came and said, you know, you made a million dollars. I was just like, I'm free at that point. Like, yeah. I just, I'll never be able to replicate that feeling. It was like the first high. If I can survive off of living off of my dream. It's, it's like, you know, unparalleled. Do you think because, uh, well, okay, I have a couple questions. Was the atom bomb the first big thing you did? Because I feel like that's something that's been consistent throughout the hundreds. So I'm just wondering if that was like one of the first designs that you put out and like did for the hundreds, or is that something that just like caught on later? It caught on much later. In fact, I didn't draw it until three or four years into the brand. We didn't have a logo. Uh, I didn't really even want to have a logo the first few years. It was just mainly about the art. So every t-shirt was different and people knew us for, um, sorry, my computer. Uh, people just knew us for different things. And so um, I, I wanted that. I didn't like being pigeonholed or narrowly categorized or classified as, oh, you're known for this one thing. I wanted people to buy the designs because they're into the designs and not necessarily for the brand. And so it was kind of in reverse. And that was just me being like a purist art guy and saying like, I don't want the brand to speak on me, my behalf. I don't want people to buy it just because it's this name. I want people to buy it because the art really resonates with them or they 
really appreciate the design or how we made something. And then a few years in to the brand, um, that's when I started drawing this silhouette of this cartoon bomb. And it was inspired by Looney Tunes cartoons, which was a big part of my youth and the culture of my youth growing up in the 80s and the 90s and animation. And you know, if you are familiar with the type of art that I'm drawn to and that I do, it's largely illustrative and cartoon based. And so I love this idea of this silhouette of this bomb because it never really exploded. If you know, it's just always right about to get there. And I, as a metaphor for the greater company, I was like, this is exactly how I want to um, formulate what it is that we're doing that we never really become entirely mainstream or blown out or oversaturated, but we're always riding that line of keeping this underground energy without going to mass. And then um, one day Ben was looking at that bomb and he was like, you love drawing cartoons. Why don't you make um, kind of like a, 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 a cartoon version of that bomb with a face and anthropomorphic version. And so I was like, cool. And I drew this bomb with a face and made turn him into a cartoon character. And then I went on, we didn't have social media again. So I went on my blog that night and I said, hey, I just drew this, it's two in the morning three in the, in the morning. I don't have a name for him. Uh, you know, if anyone wants to name him, just email me, like literally just email, email, just email me. And I got, I woke up a few hours later. I had, you know, hundreds of emails from around the world and two different people, one guy in Hawaii and one guy, I think in Europe, um, two different people chose the name Adam bomb. And I thought that was funny to give him a, a human name, you know, because of, uh, probably like you know family guy and the dog's name is brian and i just always thought that was funny you know to like name a cartoon like just like regular human name i'm like that's just adam and uh and so we went with adam bomb yeah i love that that's so cool and and then i was also wondering like when i went to when i was in high school i feel like every dude senior year was like i'm starting a t-shirt company like i'm starting a clothing company every like i don't know if this is just like an oc thing where i went to school but every dude senior year started a clothing company they would have like parties where you had to be wearing one of their shirts to get in is that something <laughs> that was like happening when you were going i'm not sure if this is like a generational thing or whatever um but that was definitely a thing at my school was that something that like happened when you were growing up where you like noticed that or was this it's just totally uh, just kind of you and Ben meeting in law school and coming up with this. I think there's always been a thing around kids in high school starting garage t-shirt brands. But um, like everything back then, it's not like everybody played guitar, but there was like a few kids who were into that. There wasn't, you know, everyone wasn't into um whatever, like a certain subculture, but there was like the click that was into that. Uh, that's how it was for us, especially in the nineties. It was very, the subcultures were broken down. These clicks were broken down in subcultures and everyone was kind of into their thing. And so there were a few kids there that were into screen printing, knew how to make a t-shirt, you know, wasn't so much about building a brand or a business, but just, I want, I have things to say, I want to put it on a t-shirt. So I think that's always been a part of American culture because screen printing in itself is an art. Um, when we were starting the brand, what was happening was there was this kind of renegade 
iconoclast movement of these independent uh, street street fashion brands that were tied to street artists, graffiti guys like Future and Stash. Um, Rob just started a brand called A Life in New York. Um, a lot of these. Let me turn this off so that it doesn't sound like I'm in a Disney cartoon and like there's fairy dust being sprinkled on me every time that makes that sound. I don't even know how to turn that off. That's going to happen every anything. now and then. Sorry. Oh, you That's don't okay. hear it? I don't There's hear these it. weird notifications. You don't hear it. Do you That's even okay. Hear You're me? a busy Are man. You listening? I no, I haven't heard anything. Oh, okay. So now I just sound crazy where every five minutes I'm like, ah, make it stop in my head. This noise. But there was, anyway, so there was these uh, street art preceded really a lot of this boom in street fashion, streetwear. And it was this wave of, in the mid 90s to late 90s, a lot of these really great street artists, which eventually became mainstream mass artists like Banksy and Shepard Ferry or whatever, that movement. Do you know, uh, who, do you know who Banksy is? No, but his, uh, his building is nearby us. And we only know this because we have a mutual friend who told us his headquarters is right here. And he didn't say where, but it's in this vicinity of where we are, which if you know who, what we, what, where the hundreds is located, like you get it, not our store, but our office, but he's around here somewhere, supposedly. Yes. He's, he's my new Bigfoot. I'm going to be strolling the streets around your office, trying to find him. I know. I, I, isn't it just bonkers that, People, in this day and age, when everything is recorded and filmed, that he still is getting away with putting up art. He just did another thing during COVID where he took over some a couple of trains, I think, in in the UK and just bombed some, some like metro-like subway type of trains. I saw but, that. Also, it's yeah. crazy because I feel like it's so hard to keep secrets nowadays. Yeah. The, the fact that no one, like I've never been to a party where someone's like, I actually know who Banksy is. No, I know, many of my friends do. A lot of the guys. I mean, even if you think about, he participates in Beyond the Streets and in these art exhibitions where you know my friend Roger runs those things. So Roger has to interact with him, and I have other people mm. who did business with him back in the day when he was first coming to LA, even before he was blown up, and you know were was giving him the the walls for him to paint on. And I know people who directly. A lot of these guys know him, but when I ask it's just kind of like a yeah man you can't ask me that damn like, but, people, but people have photos and video they're like no i have photos with him and when it all and i'm like how but how i'm sure he... but because no one knows who he is like i could i could have a picture of me and banksy on my ig but as long as i don't say banksy no one knows maybe they've been doing that you never know no one's seen me and banksy in the same room that's all i'm saying <laughs> No Banksy um, art has happened while you've just been sitting, like when we've been seeing you live. Yeah. Um, okay. Also, d so are you saying that your blog, when you first started it before the hundreds, that you had, were blogs just like people just knew you from the blog scene as well? No, 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 no. No one knew me from the blog scene, but I did have an active blog. I, some people – okay, so that's the thing also. In the in the blog days, you didn't know who knew you. There was no follower account. There was actually no real analytics. You couldn't even tell how many people were reading your blog. You know, so 
my personal blog before the hundreds, every now and then I would get just a really random email. Like I would write about Ivisu jeans and then the marketing person at Ivisu would be like, Hey, I love your blog. And I thank you for mentioning us. And I'm like, Whoa, this is a trip. I'm just a kid in a, in a studio apartment here in LA. Um, it was the same when we started the company, the first few years of us, you know, me writing this blog every day, I had no idea how many people were reading it, just millions. And then, uh, I talk about this in a book, in my book, I have a book, but in, in the book, I talk about how the, what made me realize how many people were actually reading was when I was talking shit about Pharrell and then Pharrell and his team and his crew were like, not happy about that. And I was honestly just. Imagine you just talk shit about any celebrity, like fuck Billie Eilish, you know, or whatever, like Donald Trump, like it sucks, whatever. And then all of a sudden you get this note, like, yo, like Trump is not cool. Not happy. So that you'd almost be like, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, it's easier to believe in today's day and age where you can send out a tweet and actually like hit the person. But back then it was like writing a note in a bottle chucking into the ocean all of a sudden Pharrell got the bottle and you're like that's crazy how does he know I'm here and so that was the first time that I realized I was like oh maybe we should actually check the analytics on this thing and it turned <laughs> out there were millions and millions of people that were reading the blog every month and so wow. um, that changed everything for me because in in good ways and bad ways good ways where I, I took advantage of that but also bad ways in the sense that it wasn't just me singing in the shower anymore. I was very conscious of what I was doing. And you know, there's like a little bit of the magic wears off a little bit. It's a little less innocent and a little less honest, honestly, like can't be super brutal about everything anymore. Totally. So you trolled Pharrell and then years later, haven't you worked with him on projects? Yes. Yeah. So what was really great was, um, you know, he's a super gracious dude and, uh, that, that was a thing. It turned into like, just an, um, uh, it turned into like a little bit of this weird beef, not between he and I, but just around like our surrounding crews. And that was a, that was a, that was a thing that kind of continued to go on for years and people bring up every now and then, but we had a, a chance, we met up a few years later and I was just like, yo man, that was, I was 23 and I have, half a brain and I don't even know what I'm talking about. But besides that, he he and I were talking at one point about starting a brand together. Um, I pitched him on this idea and that didn't come to fruition. And then recently, uh, this summer actually, I reached out to him for a BLM shirt just in, to recognize um, Black Lives Matter during the summer. We had to do something that was really noisy that would uh, be able to raise a lot of money. We raised it for the Black Mental Health Alliance. I thought it'd be really important to um, this year talk more about mental health than anything else. And so um, he was uh, super down to do it. And we made a cool shirt that was more about um, fusing our, us and like my favorite era of his brand, Billionaire's Boy Cl Boys Club, which was, we started in the same year in 2003 and so there was just like a lot of story there but yeah that's really cool um i yeah and then just going back to like the blogging and stuff like obviously your writing is really incredible i especially after the um the protests and the movement after like with blm especially 
being so big in the area where your store is, you know, there was like a lot of, uh, you know, police activity on Fairfax right by your store. And you had this sign up right above the 100 store on Fairfax and Rosewood that said, we'll be back. Is that what it said? No, well, this sign, uh, we put it up, you know, it was before uh, George Floyd and everything happened. It was just a billboard that said, we miss you. Yes. Because it was like an honest sentiment of we miss Fairfax, we miss the world, we miss each other. And I just want to let everyone know that you're missed. Um, but it, the, the protests, the George Floyd protests in L.A., uh, the, they turned into rioting right on our doorstep um, yeah. that Saturday afternoon. If you're familiar with what happened in L.A. to anyone who's listening, is that there was a protest that started in Pan Pacific Park and was headed west into Beverly Hills. And the police obviously did not want it in Beverly Hills. So the, the protest got rerouted up Fairfax, which was just a tinderbox because Fairfax, the neighborhood that our store is on, is home to Supreme, is home to the some of the best sneaker stores in the city, all the cool streetwear brands. And so as the night started to as night started to fall on, on the city, then it just exploded right there. The rights began on our doorstep, like literally CNN reporting on from our doorway. It's <laughs> just really insane to watch this happen. And our billboard hanging over the entire intersection said, we miss you. And it's everything. Yes. Is kind of, there's this huge fire in front of the shop. And I was watching all this, you know, people were texting me and like, this is crazy. Like, are you, are you freaking out? You know, do you have, are you guys protecting the store? And, um, we had some of our guys down there. We had other guys that were like, look, we'll come because we're armed and we'll make sure, you know, we'll protect and we won't let it. And I was just like, honestly, like, I'm just not for that. I, it's yeah. windows and clothes and it's e all easily replaceable. If um, that's really not what this is about, I think people are really upset and trying to be heard and they feel like they have been heard. And if they are gonna use our walls to express their frustrations, then like let them paint on the walls. And they did, you know? And um, it just wasn't like, I don't see how it would have helped any situation for me to go down there and start shooting and hitting people and defending some t-shirts when like, that's yeah. really not what, cause I'm frustrated too. You know, a lot of the sentiments that people have been carrying, uh, whether it started this year or whether you've been angry for many years or since the beginning of time, uh, you know, we share a lot of that of like, this is not okay that this is happening. Or like even George in the, in the vacuum of George Floyd's death, like that's just not okay. Like I want to be able to express that. So that was me also expressing it of like, look, I, I wrote something about even if you bring the fire to our doorstep, like I'll, I'll stand in the fire with you. And that, I think that just, um, that was just a different, you know, it was just a different path than maybe people expected a business owner to take. And I didn't want to speak on behalf of all business owners because I'm also very cognizant that I'm in a situation, I'm in a position where my entire livelihood is not in that store, right? Yeah. That's just one of the things that I do. And for some people, many small business owners and shopkeepers, their whole life is in that store. And so, you know, I understand if they feel the need to react differently to it but for me it just wasn't that and i think it went kind of viral because people were like okay well here's like a different 
take on the situation, maybe we can look at it this way too. And that's always what I'm trying to do is just offer, perhaps we can look at it differently and yeah. you know, what you would expect. And, um, but yeah, that was a, a statement I had to make and I think other people were making. And I think in the end, people have been heard in some ways. And so I think there was a lot of positive that came out of that. Yeah, just because I, you know, obviously, like, with your background with writing as well, it was just the the way that you worded, because I'm referring to your Instagram post where you wrote about that, and you had the picture of the billboard in your store, and the police car, like, burnt down, and, um, and I remember talking to my mom after it happened, you know, my mom was like, I just don't understand why people are looting, like, whatever, and I remember saying, you know, I get that you don't understand, but some people, uh, you know, feel like that's how they can be heard. And obviously it's creating a conversation that we're having that we might not have had if right. looting hadn't happened. And I sent her your Instagram post and she read it and she was just like, like, you know, it just, it, it allowed her to kind of see it differently. And, um, you know, I think, I think you know, fashion and like clothing can be very powerful. And then also your background in writing is also very powerful. And um, mm. yeah, I just wanted to mention that and kind of it's gas a really, you up. It's, oh, well, thanks. Uh, I, it's a really textured and complicated and nuanced conversation that an Instagram caption doesn't capture, a, a night of looting doesn't capture. It's, it's like, so 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 complicated and i think it's worth having the conversation having uh it's you know you to your mom's point it's totally fair that she is confused i don't know where she is right now but within her community and within her life experiences that type of thing appears totally nonsensical and even in speaking with you know i know people who are living you know and even in speaking with them and their outlook on things. And even to them, um, they recognize the opportunism in it of, oh yeah, dude, it was kind of like crazy. I mean, I've never been able to afford anything and I have, but even to them, a lot of it didn't make sense. And there's just so much of this is born in chaos. Mm -hmm. And what does it say it's of the greater society if all of these things are happening, people are, basically making decisions that are chaotic. Um, I think we have to look at, you know, we can just complain about them or critique them, or we can also, we can also not either or, but we can also look at what's happening around it and saying this, there's this really uh, critical, profound issue happening within our society right now, where a lot of nonsensical things are happening, whether it's chaos, in our government and our administration, our political leaders, whether it's chaos within our capitalist structures and, um, you know, the great wealth disparity, you know, people not making billions of dollars and not paying taxes, like that's looting and chaotic as well. Totally. And just because these people have been able to get it around it because they have the money and the power and the prestige to do it, it doesn't mean that it's any less or more ethical than what you would see, you know, a 15 year old kid walking into a store and going like, this is, I can have a hundred dollar pair of shoes for free right now. And there won't be any repercussions for it. 
and I'm really angry about everything and no, there's just, there's no justice anywhere. I'm going to take the hundred dollar pair of shoes. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you can weigh those things sometimes. And so I just, you know, if we're going to talk about that, let's also talk about this. Let's also talk about all these other wrongs and ills because that that's the greater, that's the bigger issue to me. It's the small mom and pop businesses that are suffering in a broken economy in a recession. Um, they can point to looters and say, because of them, I'm going out of business, or they can point to someone like, you know, Jeff Bezos, you know, who is really putting a lot of business, small businesses out of business. So I don't know, like, yeah, we should have, we can, we should have all those conversations right now. Yeah. That's why I think like, you know, social media can definitely be a tool in a lot of ways. And it can also be kind of a, a distraction in some ways. And I think, uh, I'm curious for you starting the hundreds and starting your business before the age of Instagram and all of that stuff. Now with social media, it's so easy to start a business, promote it, and maybe like, you know, get a lot of hype initially. But I feel like because of that, a lot of brands or businesses or artists or whatever, it can be a really quick high and then a really quick collapse as well. Do you think if you had started the hundreds during Instagram and like, you know, at a different time, if it would have affected you guys uh, significantly yeah, or in like a course. different way. Yeah, of course. I, I compare it to how music artists were pre Napster, pre MP3, pre download streaming days. And if you were able, fortunate enough to have built your foundation of your career before that, it's, it's just a different kind of a band that has a longer legacy. And the music artists that have come, you know, post that in the last 20 years or so, they just have, a, it's a different type of trajectory for a brand, for a band like that. And it's the same with brands, just the way that e-com and social changed the, the DNA of how they promote and how they sell. It's, it affects the longevity of the brand. I think it's very, it's still very possible, but it takes, it requires a lot more work. Whereas, um, to your point, that's the greatest issue. That's the biggest problem, biggest hurdle for any brand today is that it's not hard getting the customers anymore, building the audience. That always used to be the hardest thing. You would have a great product, great design, great work, and you the marketing was the difficult part. I just want to get like, you know, 10 people, five people just standing on a street corner with a sign or like taking out an ad in a print newspaper, just whatever they used to do back then. Ads in magazines used to be the thing. And you would just slowly collect audience um, customers and not even have an email list, but just organically. And brands would develop really, really organically. And, um, and if they were able to do that, that because the growth was so, so logical, and the progression was so natural that it just would sustain for a really long period of time. Now, when you start a brand, it's not hard to build a fan base. You just have to have a social platform, you know, you just, and then you just connect, you hashtag, you throw a direct a targeted ad and you start collecting emails. And that's not the hard part. Anyone can do that, whether you're making music, art, building a streetwear brand, whatever you want. But um, the hard part is then fulfilling 
those requests, you know, so you get $100,000 in orders, which sounds crazy to someone my age, but to a 20 year old kid, they hear those stories all the time. Now, my friend started a brand or my friends on YouTube and started selling merch. Oh my God, he made $100,000 overnight. Okay, great. That's, not, that's commendable, but can you fulfill the $100,000 in orders? And that's what breaks most businesses because they can't fulfill they just don't have the infrastructure to keep up with it they don't have the customer service to deal with like the returns and the complaints yeah. they can't deal with the production and all that i know for you like you made this shirt and it sold out right away and you're going to make more but as you see it's like that's not the hard part the hard part is actually running the machine i'm sitting here in our office in our building and there's like a hundred people running around and handling all these little parts to accommodate the hundred thousand yes. dollar orders you know I don't know why. I mean, <laughs> I'm like so naive about certain things. I remember visiting your warehouse and being like, this is all yours? Like, there's people who work for you. There's like so many boxes in that back warehouse. I was, I don't know why I was so surprised. I'm like, Bobby, you have like an entire operation. Yeah, there's like a village. It takes a yeah. village to run these things. And yeah, kids are, you know, a lot of these kids are starting brands as one or two people or like just their homies hopping on the garage and they're like, oh, I've got $100,000 in sales. And I'm like, that is your worst. That's a curse because that yeah. will destroy you because you won't yeah. be able to keep up. You don't fulfill the orders. You're going to have to return everyone's money or you send them products six months late and they're never going to trust you again. And now your brand's been eroded. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, it's just, it's a weird thing to watch now. And so I think we would have definitely have been affected by that when, if we had started, because we had a, when we took off, you know, the first three years of our brand, we were really quiet. It was a really, really gradual rise. And then I'd say around year three, year four, we just kind of exploded where I could draw a picture of dog shit and it would sell out because it just had the name associated with it. And yeah. even then during those days, we were crippling under the stress because we didn't have the proper infrastructure. And so I can't even imagine. Um, well, I can imagine because we work with other brands and we have a, a print shop here where we print for a lot of these brands that I'm talking about. And I see it. I'm watching them live through it. And they're just like, they can't continue, keep up with the production. And um, that's that's the thing. Yeah. I think that's the best advice, though, for anyone doing any creative endeavor, whether it's comedy music fashion whatever it is it's like I think honestly the best advice like when I started stand-up everyone was like don't expect anything for the first 10 years like keep everything low-key like just do your thing keep your head down put in the work because it's only going to get like harder and you want to be ready for when like the cool things do come and I think uh, nowadays because of Instagram and social media we know like we're addicted to that instant gratification, at least I am, the instant gratification. Like I post something, yeah. I immediately get at least one like, you know? Yeah. And so when you're starting something new, it's like, don't expect any likes. Try not to, get not try not to get likes, but just like do whatever you need to do because then when the likes or the, you know, orders yeah. or whatever start coming in, you're like, okay, I've, I've done this before. I know what to do. I'm a little bit more experienced now. Um whatever. I would like to tell the Bobby and Allie origin story for those who are wondering how I'm best friends with such a cool person. Um, I love this please. story. This is my favorite story. I'm going to give my rendition of it. If you have anything to add, please feel free to interrupt me. Um, okay. 
Speaking of starting comedy or starting a creative endeavor, um, for the people who know me, they might know that uh, I was a bit upset. Well, I don't. Okay, how do I word this? When I got my license, I would drive up to Fairfax. I would often hang out at the Odd Future store, hoping that me and Tyler, the creator, would become best friends. Um, unfortunately, that never happened. But once Tyler I started stand up, the other night, you know, Tyler was there on Friday night. I know, and I was freaking Tyler? out. I did okay, see Tyler. So, okay, so. We just threw a festival here in LA and a food festival and Tyler was there on Saturday night. Um, sorry to interrupt your story, but you're closer to being his best friend. I am one step closer, but I realized seeing him this weekend, it, when I heard that he was going to be there, I was like freaking out. And then when I saw him, I was like, oh, I'm not 17 with like no life and like just clinging <laughs> on to the idea of something anymore. And I think it was like a good thing where I saw him and uh, I was like, oh, yeah. 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 But yeah. it was still cool. I mean, I would still love to be his friend. <laughs> right. Um, but I would go to Fairfax all the time. And then when I started doing stand up, there was an open mic on Fairfax at Cantor's, which is right by the hundreds, right by Supreme, right by the Odd Future store. So I would sign up for this open mic. I would have to wait like three hours to go up. And so in the meantime, I'd flirt with the boys at Supreme, try and hang out with Tyler, the creator, and then hang out at the hundreds. And I was sitting there one day, I'm like 17 or 18, like smoking a cigarette outside, just lingering on Rosewood and Fairfax. And you walked out of the hundreds. And honestly, I had no idea who you were because I don't really know. I'm just trying to find a boyfriend at one of these streetwear stores, you know? Right. So I'm just hanging out smoking. You come outside and you're like, can I take a picture of you? And I was like, of course, because I love getting my picture taken. And I was like, will you email that to me? And you're like, yeah, for sure. Um, so then you email it to me and your signature was like Bobby Kim, comma, underneath that it said the hundreds. So I'm like, who's this Bobby Kim that works for the hundreds thinking you're like a retailer? <laughs> so I Google it and I'm like, that's the hundreds. <laughs> that, that's the hundreds. So then I email you. I'm all cool. I'm like, thanks for the picture. And uh, and that was it for the most part yeah. until yeah. maybe three years ago when we reconnected via Instagram. Okay. This is the story that I actually kind of forget. How did, how did that happen? Did I come across you again or did someone – how did that happen? Because – yeah, I feel I like... I don't remember. I don't really remember either. I'm sure if I dug into um, our Instagram DMs, I could find out. But I feel like maybe I posted something or you posted something or a mutual friend of ours posted something. And then you were like, I think I might have messaged you being like, oh my God, like you're the dude who took the picture of me. Yes, I think it was something like that. And you said, this is the photo. And I was like, I remember shooting that photo and I remember you. And you, you said, I want to, yes. And I think you were like, oh, I'm, I think at the time you were like, oh, I'm, oh, okay. I DM'd you December 20th, 2018. I said, just saw your account and remembered you took the coolest picture of me five years ago on Fairfax. I sent you the picture. You said, oh my God. Yes. I remember this. You were new on the block and then I, whatever. And then eventually you were like, I want to get another picture of you. So I went to your warehouse we took a picture, we reconnected, we had a whole story, 
and it's been magic ever since. Yes, this is exactly what happened. Which and is I'm, only really about a oh, I guess now it's been two years, pretty much since December 2018, that we've reconnected. But yeah, that's what it was. I, I when I I used to take photos of everyone who used to come by the store, including people like kids like Tyler when he was growing up, just hanging out in front of the shop. And so taking pictures of everyone and I came out and you were so random sitting there because you weren't with, there's usually just like clumps of dudes that are just smoking and skating and there's clumps of dudes. And then there's this white girl with brown hair and she's just sitting there up against the wall. And I was like, this is so random, but it's also a part of this, the store, it's like the ecosystem of the hundred store was always that it was like the most weird people come together and then like beautiful things would happen. So I was just like, this is also a part of our lifestyle. And uh, I remember taking the photo and I remember you saying, can you email it to me? And then I, and I sent it, but yeah, it's a, it's crazy. Even when I see that photo pop up now, I'm just like, God, that's Allie. That's like, she turned into Allie McCoffsey and she's world famous now. <laughs> it's just it's it's just interesting like you know when I was in high school going up to Fairfax I always wanted to be a part of that like the, in the way that I imagine that you wanted to be a part of kind of like that punk lifestyle yeah. like how you oh, said yeah. yeah you know punk inspired you in a lot of ways in music and it's like being in Fairfax like I, I really was inspired by a lot of the people over there and I always kind of wanted to be a part of that kind of culture of like the cool kids doing cool stuff and like yeah. doing their own thing. And the the longer I've done comedy, it's just crazy how much smaller my world has gotten and working at the chicken wing spot on Melrose being right by round two and becoming friends with Justin, Jay Boozy, and then having him eventually work for you and me being like, oh my God, I know Bobby in this weird way. And then hosting this family style festival drive-in theater event for you guys it's like it's just so cool and like Errol is a part of that and like Errol used to work at the odd future store and I probably like yes. got bullied by him when I used to hang out there because <laughs> yeah. he probably could tell that I was just this weird lingering girl and so like I don't know it's just so crazy it's it's really cool how it all comes kind of full circle and how everything's meant to happen the way that it's supposed to happen yeah, you know, LA can be a small place. You know, I don't think LA is a geographically small place. I think, and I think there's a lot of people here, but when it comes to particular interests and different niche cultures, they're small and we all end up kind of knowing each other, you know, and the yeah. longer I stay in the game, the longer I've been doing this, it's just like the network is really deep. And so um, it's cool in that way because we are a community. You know, and this is a lot of what I talk about in reference to the brand and the importance of the reason for a lot of our success has not as much to do with, with like the branding or the design. It has to do with we really try to reinforce and feed this community over and over again. So, um, you know, you were part of the community back then because you're hanging out at the store and then now you are, you know, like a cornerstone of the community. You're hosting our events, you know. So I love it that. Was so it's special. just kind of like, yeah, yeah. And I just, uh, we'll wrap this up soon. I just wanted, I was just thinking like while you were talking, it's like, I don't know if this is like a really bad thing to say or a really good thing to say, but I feel like 
you're kind of like a fashion Jonathan Gold, the way that you speak about the uh, uh, streetwear. Are we, is that canceled? Am I allowed to say streetwear? Yes, you can say streetwear. Okay. As okay. the Jonathan Gold of streetwear, I allow you to say that word. <laughs> Just the way that you capture how the LA community and the fashion community and the way that you speak about it, it's very, I don't know, I feel like Jonathan Gold had a really great way of capturing LA through food and I feel like you are able to capture that through fashion and the way that you write with your book, This Is Not a T-Shirt. Um, in the way that you uh, create these events that bring the community together, like family style, and the collabs that you do, which are really amazing. My producer, Anthony, over here did want to know. He was like, at some point, he just texted me this during the podcast. At some point, ask if he's ever going to release more Lamb of God collabs with two prayer hands and a baby <laughs> angel face and a heart. Yeah, Absolutely. I still talk to those guys like almost every day because Randy's always surfing out on the East Coast and then Art lives out here. But that we did this project with Lamb of God during the pandemic and I just love this new album, which was, it was in support of his new album, but um, it sold out so fast to the point where I didn't get uh, the t-shirt. And so I've been trying to buy the t-shirt off of customers. <laughs> But no one oh wants to God. sell it to me. And so it's rare <laughs> when that happens where I'm things out all the time before I can get to it. And I'm like, oh, I miss that one. But this is one where I was just like, that one was really for me. And it, like it kind of sold too fast. Um, so I hope so. But to, to go back also to your point about Jonathan Gold, I think, you know, one thing I can I can say that we do have in common or did because he's not alive anymore is that you can tell he really, really enjoyed and was passionate and about what he was doing and he really cared about the community or he really cared about food like you you couldn't fake that like he really loved what he was doing and uh i feel that way about these about streetwear you know and, and street fashion and these artists and these designers and these kids starting brands like i'm still just as excited by it at the age of 40 as I was when I was a teenager, which is because I'm Peter Pan, I'll just never grow up. You know, it's probably just an Im immaturity and emotional immaturity thing, but I just really, really care. Like I'm just, it's so cool to me and it's so awesome to see young people um, basically create brands or their way of speaking on being heard and being represented and then they have a stage and a platform and then they're invincible and that age is just so magical to me. I just love it, they're invincible, you know? And they think that they can change the world and because they think they can change the world, they do end up changing the world. And so uh, I'm not a young person anymore, you know, I'm like a dad, but uh, my focus is always still on the younger generations because I know that they are really the ones moving the culture. And so like, I just want to be near that and I want to understand it and study it. And it's so complex, but it inspires me. It's like, they keep me on my toes. They keep me inspired to do what I do every day. Um, I never lost my zeal for, for what it is that I do and, and why I do it. And so like that I've been really fortunate in that regard. You know, m many, especially in streetwear, it's easy to get jaded in this game for a number of reasons. It's just, it's really grueling and, and hard to sustain. Um, 
you know, there's just like a lot of smoke and mirrors too. And once you see Pat's in, honestly, a lot of the, it's predominantly dudes and like most of the dudes are just assholes and it's just really easy to get jaded and become negative about all this because it can be bullshit. Um, but I just never get caught up in that. I don't, I try not to get caught up in that energy as much as I try to get, I really try to keep my focus on like high school kids, college kids that are like, I have an idea and I think I can do it and I'm going to do it. I'm going to put all my eggs into one basket and this is all I can think about. And I'm not going to stop until it's successful. And I'm like, that is fucking amazing. Like, that's an amazing thing that as you get older, people lose it, you know, and they're just like, it's my job and everything sucks and fucking America sucks and Trump sucks and the world sucks and climate change sucks, and everything just sucks to them. But then you talk to kids and even in the midst of a global pandemic where everything is falling apart, you talk to them and they're like, yeah, I know that sucks, but I have this idea. Or like, oh, but you know what I'm gonna do? You know what I'm working on? Oh, my, my friends, oh, we're gonna do this. And like, that's so cool. Like, I wish, I mean, you can bottle it up. It's streetwear. Yeah. You can, you can get into that. I think that's a great note to end on. Yeah. Right? Sure. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Do you want to add anything else? Um, no, I, I'm just really, I love Allie so much. I'm so proud of her. This is also illustrative of what I'm talking about right now is I'm drawn to Allie's energy because through her eyes, I get to basically live vicariously through like this really hopeful, like you just have this amazing future ahead of you. And I'm like, I get to do it all over again. I'm immortal when I hang out with people like Ali because I'm like, oh my God, she's just getting on the roller coaster and I'm going to ride it again through her lens. And it's yeah. exciting and it's maddening and there's sad and despair and there's joy and all of it. And I'm like, this is going to be great to watch. Like I can't, yeah. I'm so excited <laughs> to see this happen for Ali. Especially when I vent to you about all my boy problems. <laughs> Which is part of it, you know, young love and romance. And uh, I do a texting thing where I have my phone number through the community yes. app and people can text me, right? And I get thousands of texts a week and I reply to every single one, believe it or not. And people say, what do kids talk? It's mainly dudes. And I'm like, they're like, what are, what are they asking? I'm like, they're mainly young guys. And they ask number one about how to build their streetwear brand or they have some career aspiration or they're kind of lost in their job and they want to know what to do next. Okay. I got that. But secondarily to that, most of it is about my heart's been broken. My girlfriend broke up with me. I like this girl. I don't know what to do. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a sophomore in high school and my girlfriend cheated on me and the world is over, which it really is at that point. Like, that pain never goes away. My high school girlfriend cheated on me and I'm still in therapy for that. And so <laughs> I, you know, I, it's, this is also just like a part of young innocence and like figuring out the world is also trying to navigate love and romance. And that's what I, I love talking to people like Ali about that too, because I'm like, God, that's like such a, a part of life that you forget about as you get older and you're just jaded. And I just don't want to be jaded. Yeah. Yeah. Your kids are adorable, by the way. I'm so glad I got to meet them this weekend. And um, 
Yeah, thanks They're again really for good. having me at Family Style. It was so fun. Of course. We all agree that you were the best host ever. Hopefully there's going to be an Ally Mac The Hundreds collab soon. Oh, I'm positive of it. <laughs> um, okay, thanks for doing this. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye, Bobby. Bye-bye.